Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and this is America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the fallout from Attorney General Barr's testimony in Congress. Uh, Diana West has a fabulous new book out, The Red Thread. It's about why the people behind the anti-Trump conspiracy did what they did. And third, the many ways the Russia hoax hurt America. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. And hello again, welcome to America Can We Talk. Yes, I'm still on vacation with my husband in California, so we're not in the normal studio doing the best we can here, visiting our family in California. You probably all saw in the news this morning that Julian Assange was arrested. I'm gonna to get to the, the uh, topic about people's reaction to Attorney General Barr's um, testimony yesterday, but I first wanna mention about Julian Assange being arrested. There is a obviously an effort to bring him to the United States for prosecution. And uh, what I will tell you, the only thing I care about right now about Julian Assange is I want him under oath to tell America how he got the DNC data that he put out on Wikilinks, who passed along to him the contents of the DNC server, the Hillary Clinton emails, because his exposure of Hillary Clinton's contacts and Hillary Clinton's uh, connections during that time, presidential period, uh, putting on a Wikilinks was a huge issue and more than once Assange hinted he didn't get the data from the Russians. I want him to answer that. Beyond that, he may deserve prosecution. I'm fine with that. But I that's the one good thing that could come out of bringing him here to America. But I want to turn to, we talked about yesterday how Attorney General Barr testified before the United States Senate and really his testimony sent shockwaves through Washington because he said, number one, he did, in fact, he wasn't guessing. He said, yes, there was spying on the Trump campaign. He wasn't saying kind of maybe or maybe not, I'm not sure, but he just said there was spying on the Trump campaign. Uh, number two, sorry about that sound there. Uh, and number two was in referring to his determination and he was going to get to the bottom of it, he's going to investigate internally, he said, not just the FBI, but other agencies, all other intelligence agencies. This is making the left very, very nervous. I want to have uh, my wonderful producer, Matt, play a quick clip for you. This is a clip of the uh, exchange between Attorney General Barr and a senator, U.S. senator named uh, Shaheen, Senator Shaheen. Uh, just hear her, uh, what she is saying, essentially, in response to what Barr has to say. Um, news just broke today that you have a special team looking into why the FBI opened an investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 elections. Uh, I wonder if you can share with this committee who's on that team, why you felt a need to form that kind of a team, and what you intend to be the scope of their investigation. Yeah, I, uh, as I said in my confirmation hearing, uh, I am going to be reviewing. Uh, 
both the genesis and the conduct of intelligence activities directed uh, at the, the Trump campaign during 2016. But one of the things I want to do is pull together all the information from the various investigations that have gone on, including on the Hill uh, and in the department, and uh, see if there are any remaining questions uh, to be addressed. And can you share with us why you feel a need to do that? Well, uh, you know, for the same well, for the same reason, we're worried about foreign uh, influence in elections. We want to make sure that uh, during an election, I, I think spying on a political campaign is a big deal. It's a big deal, and I'm not just I'm not talking about the FBI uh, necessarily, but intelligence agencies more broadly. So you're not you're not suggesting though that spying occurred. I don't, uh, well, uh, I guess you could, I, I think there's a spying did occur. Yes, I think spying did occur. Okay, can you even stand it? Her question, a U.S. Senator, you're not suggesting that spying actually occurred. I mean, look at the look on his face. The Attorney General is looking at, the, at one of the 100 people sitting in the U.S. Senate, and her question seemingly genuine, not uh, politically motivated, not trying to trap him, but she just is acting puzzled. Like, uh, are you really saying that spying occurred? And so I want to say, first of all, for Americans who pay attention to politics, there has been enough in the news over the last two years for anyone with a pulse who cared to dig in and understand there was a massive spying effort by the FBI, by the Department of Justice, on President Trump's campaign. You only had to read columns in The Hill, for example, as one source among many. You could read columns by Sarah Carter, uh, John Solomon. There have been Greg Jarrett's book, Dan Bongino's book. There are dozens and dozens and hundreds, in fact, articles and books out there, not just, you know, firing off conspiracy theories, but actually laying out evidence of what happened inside the FBI and the Department of Justice that led to the spying on the Trump campaign, that led to the, the false allegation of Trump-Russia collusion, that led to the Mueller investigation, that led to the last two years of headlines. And this is a U.S. senator. And I'll tell you, folks, I take her at face value. I think she actually had no idea. Truly, truly troubling. But as to what Barr had to say yesterday, there was commentary almost immediately afterwards. Uh, one was by the, uh, the um, Senator Schumer, you know, the minority leader in the Senate. Senator Schumer fired off a statement at Attorney General Barr saying, essentially, Barr must retract his spying shocker. His statement was, he said, Attorney General Barr has admitted he has no evidence to support his claim that spying on the Trump campaign did occur. That's not what he said. In fact, he said just the opposite. Yes. In fact, Barr said straight out there was spying on the Trump campaign. He said, now he said in his, we talked about yesterday, he, his broader explanation was, you know, I need to know if there was legitimate basis for this spying. Why did it get started? Why were they doing this? And he, so he's acknowledging he doesn't know yet if it was legitimate or not legitimate, he's going to investigate. This is making people on the American left extremely worried. There is a long list of people we're going to talk about shortly in this show, a long list of people who were heavily involved in pushing this story 
in encouraging the media to believe the story and encouraging America to believe the story that there was Trump-Russia collusion. This is Schumer's, uh, it's almost surprising he would even issue such a statement as though he really thinks Attorney General Barr would back down from an investigation into what happened. As Barr said, he's going to—he's trying to look at the genesis, the very beginning. How did this get started? And he left room in his comments. Yeah, maybe I'll find that there was legitimate reason. What I think, I think Barr already knows there was no reason other than hatred and opposition to President Trump that brought about this entire investigation. I think he knows that. I think Schumer knows that. I think maybe Shaheen didn't, but a lot of Democrats and Republicans in Washington did know. So, but that today for my friend, my friends is our first five. Next up, I want to talk with you about this book and I'm going to hold it up for you. It's got my, my kind of legendary yellow stickers all over it, but I want to hold up for you a book that is a, um, that was by Diana West and she's a renowned author. Uh, this is a book called The Red Thread, and try to see which way it goes. You can see it better. The Red Thread, uh, this is a book that you could order. Go online, just Google The Red Thread. I, I ordered it from Amazon. But she is a scholar extraordinaire, and what she dove into in this book is kind of heady stuff. It's kind of you know deep and, um, and demands thought and to, be able to, to follow it and to read it. But she's getting at, she's not going at the angle of, who started the investigation, what, you know, political players were involved, what chicanery was involved in coming up with a fake Russian dossier, you know, who participated in doing that. And she, she's not on that tack. She's on the tack. She is a deep dive investigator, a deep dive writer. She's on the tack of what is the reason? What is the reason all of these high official government officials in our country, high level, accomplished, nearing retirement in the case of John Brennan, why would all of these people have become engulfed in this effort to bring down President Trump? She calls it, the full name of her book is The Red Thread, A Search for Ideological Drivers Inside the Anti-Trump Conspiracy. I cannot begin to summarize the ideological string she pulls together. She is a researcher, she's a thinker, she's a reader, she's a historian, she's a student of political philosophy. But the reason I wanted to raise it and, and talk with you about today is this is a this is a bigger question than even Barr is looking into. Attorney General Barr is exactly doing his job as Attorney General. He is going to figure out inside the FBI how things got so horribly wrong why they got so horribly wrong, who was involved, who are the players that brought about this impossibly messy, ugly, unjustified anti-Trump conspiracy. And that is exactly what Barr's job is. But what Diana West is talking about is really, really important because moving forward, it goes to the question of how do we, you know, what do we do as a country? What do we do about the fact that we haven't just had a completely out of control um, effort, a, a rigged effort at bringing up this, the entire, um, you know, the entire uh, Trump-Russia collusion story, which we has now borne out that there is absolutely um, nothing to it at all. So to start with, I'm going to focus on two characters, two people that uh, this Diana West book focuses on. 
I really do urge you to read this. It's pretty short. You can see pretty short, skinny book. You can read this book. Uh, it, you know, it's not lengthy, uh, it, but it is very intense. And the reason it really matters is she's getting at the idea that we had people at very high levels in our government who were so outraged at the idea that a candidate Trump could be taken seriously, that a candidate Trump could get close to winning the primary, and then he could win the general and be elected as president. She's asking why, and the John Brennan is a good example, and I'm gonna go through her analysis of his thinking. John Brennan's and Nellie Orr's. I urge you to read the whole book, but I, I want to hone in on two of the major players involved in this anti-Trump conspiracy and try to encourage you to think about what would these people do if left to their own devices? What would they have done to America if you didn't have people in the United States Congress demanding that we have an investigation? What, what would have happened to America if you did not have Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan and Matt Gates pushing and, and Devin Nunes pushing back at the FBI and saying, what in the world is going on here? Because to be very clear, if Hillary Clinton had won the presidency in 2016, none of us would be sitting here today having any knowledge of any of the astonishing criminal conduct occurring inside the FBI and Department of Justice. We wouldn't know about it. We wouldn't know because all the players involved would be happily protected by a Hillary Clinton administration. We now know, sitting here in April of 2019, that we have only scratched the surface in understanding all the players, what they did, who is involved. But I want you to think about what would have happened if we did not have a Trump victory. So to start with, why some of these leftists who got involved in concocting this plan to destroy Trump as a candidate and then destroy him as a president. Think about the things that President Trump ran on, the issues he was raising and the issues that were resonating with America's voters. Number one is he was outspoken in a renewal of the idea and love of America. He was his America first agenda, his agenda of saying we're going to protect America from the uh, from foreign economies, taking all our jobs away, our businesses leave. So we have a we have a weakened American economy. We have a weakened American workforce. He said we're going to restore the border. We're going to have actual border security. He was really on the line of in his campaign. And as we talked about yesterday on the idea of nationalism, reasserting the goodness and greatness and uniqueness of America. So he was on to border security. He was on to bring, bring back a robust free market economy with jobs. He was on to also this idea of rejecting uh, globalism, which is the opposite of nationalism. And he was on the idea of rejecting socialism. He had, as you know, in his uh, State of the Union speech earlier this year, he did his famous, probably the most famous moment in the whole State of the Union speech, said, America is not a socialist country. We're not a socialist country. We have, we have, America is rooted in freedom. We are a free country. We're going to stay that way. He also raised the alarm bell about radical Islam during his campaign. He spoke very openly about the danger of our refugee policy, about the idea that America was not going to continue to bring refugees to this country who may mean us harm. He spoke openly about the need to change refugee policy, to change our 
our, um, our standards and law in Washington with respect to who comes here, who decides who comes here, how do we vet the people who come here? These ideas that President Trump ran on, they drive leftists nuts. They drive communists and socialists nuts. They drive Islamists nuts because what he was talking about was not merely his view versus socialism, but in the longer picture of America's history, America has marched down the path toward globalism at least since the end of World War II. This book, Diana West, and we're gonna talk about her book, The Red Thread, really does a great job of laying out the history of America, how we, since the end of World War II, we slowly but continually submitted our thinking, our policies, our sense of America to the globalist agenda, that we were agreeing that, that America didn't have to be prominent in the world, that, and we had, America was played by many, many, uh, in many instances and many issues by Russian agents placed in America's government, Russian agents who were slowly working to shift America's thought so we weren't proud to be American. So we didn't think it was such a great thing to say, yes, America first, we love our country. So we got weak as a country. President Obama's presidency was kind of a culmination. It was a, I mean, people seeing for the first time, this is what the left has been arguing for. What President Obama did, a wide variety of his policies, very friendly to Islamism, very, very unfriendly to America as a strong, unique nation. Another big thing, Obama worked to weaken America's military in a variety of ways through defunding, through reducing the, um, reducing our role in the world, reducing funding, and also playing all of his social uh, justice policy games inside the military. Another great thing President Trump ran on, we are going to restore America's military to its prominence, its place in the world. These things scared people who were happy with the path America was on toward globalism, toward socialism. Now we'll talk about John Brennan. John Brennan, as you likely know, was a CIA director um, under President Obama. And there is widely reported, and there's going, this is part of what Barr is going to figure out, Attorney General Barr is going to figure out, but under the CIA, still headed up by John Brennan, in the summer of 2016, there appears to have been launched at Langley, at the CIA headquarters, the plan to investigate, or to be more precise, the plan to cook up the entire appearance of Russian influence in the Trump campaign. This is the allegation that is making John Brennan and many, many, many people on the left very nervous from the very start. This was, this Russia-Trump collusion accusation about Trump was actually a cooked up hoax. John Brennan appearing to be at the head, appearing to be the, the main player, the one who cooked it all up, using his position as a head of CIA to, and he's obviously as a head of CIA, deeply familiar with tactics to use to plant stories, disinformation tactics. This is what one of the things Anna West brings out in her book, which again, I urge you to order and read. But part of what, you know, you, you might sit back and think, and, and, and many Americans would, people who don't pay attention to politics would say, John Brennan was near retirement age. He's, he's had a stellar career. 
He's at the CIA. He can retire. If Trump wins, he can, you know, move on. He's not going to be Trump's uh, head of CIA. He could look forward to years of retirement, enjoy his country, enjoy his family, whatever he wants to do. What would motivate a guy that close to retirement and that in the eyes of the left, very accomplished person, what would motivate him to go after Trump as a candidate? I mean, ask yourself that about many of these people. Brennan apparently a spearheader, but many, many people inside the FBI, inside the Department of Justice, inside State Department, willing to risk everything to destroy Trump. And the question you have to ask is, why? Well, part of what Diana West points out is that regardless of the fact that John Brennan held high positions in our government, he was the head of the CIA um, under President Obama, he is actually in his worldview and his you know what he thinks about the world he thinks right and wrong there are many many things you can point to about him that help you figure out help us figure out that he is simply a radical leftist and i i don't mean just you know slightly left of center you know likes uh, higher taxes on rich people kind of leftist i'm talking about the radical anti-american left that is alive and well in this country has been alive and well in this country for decades, he's part of that. To start with, many people know that he voted when he had the opportunity to decide who he's going to vote for, you know, who he's going to support for president. He had the opportunity in um, to vote when he was a uh, when he was in college to, I'm sorry, I'm trying to check on our time and make sure we stay on track here. He had the opportunity in college to vote. So he voted in 1976 for the Communist Party candidate for president, Gus Hall. You have to remember, where were we in America in 2016? I mean, excuse me, in, in 2000, in 1976, when John Brennan voted for president, he voted for Gus Hall, the communist candidate, in 1976. 1976 was before the Cold War ended. 1976 was when Russia was on the offense, claiming it was going to become the world-dominating communist power. Russia was an aggressor around the world. Communism was symbolized by, it is, it was at that time, it was Russia. And this guy voted at that era. You have to put your mind in that time frame. And that era, he voted for Gus Hall in 1976 for president of the United States. But something, and maybe you say, okay, everybody knew that, you know, he says, well, I was unhappy with both parties at the time. That was his explanation. It's a pretty darn big thing to do to vote communist in that era. But I move on. In, 1980, in the 1980s, he wrote a master's thesis in government. So this is John Brennan, writes his master's thesis in government. His study was a concentration in Middle East studies. He wrote at length about his preference for the Egyptian leader Nasser and Nasser's Arab socialism, contrasting it with and denouncing Sadat's nascent form of Western capitalism. He went out of his way in his master's thesis to, to deeply study. That's what master's thesis means. You deeply study, you deeply think, and then you write what you think. He wrote about his preference for the Nasser's Arab socialism over Sadat's form of capitalism. He said he was talking about socialism was good for the Egyptian people while capitalism only benefited the wealthy and foreign investors. 
He praised socialist Nasser's seizure of private property and private assets of its citizens as austere economic policies that helped to lessen disparities. The guy's a communist, people. The guy's a communist. So his era, you put yourself now back in John Brennan's head. He has been head of the CIA while you have the most left-leaning, socialist-friendly president in American history, Barack Obama, and he sees Obama's policies pushing us towards socialism and making socialism a friendly topic in America, legitimizing it. He sees that under threat. His whole worldview, pro-socialist worldview, under threat if you have a man like Donald Trump excitedly exuberant about freedom, free markets, and capitalism. Second point on Brennan. Now, I'm telling you, I'm just giving you highlights. These are just, these are points to understand. You need to read the whole book to get the flavor of what Diana West is arguing, which is essentially that the people who got behind the anti-Trump conspiracy had bigger reasons than just because they liked Hillary Clinton better and they wish she won, or they like her better because she, whatever their reason would be, I can't imagine a reason, but the point is, it's a deep philosophical agreement with socialism that got Brennan very upset about the idea of a capitalist guy like Trump coming on board. Second point about Brennan, widely reputed to have converted to Islam while he served as his CIA station chief in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. I read more about that today uh, in, the, in Diana West's book. I urge you to read more about it to understand that it was not a minor accusation off the top of his head. This is an a, uh, evidence-based, firsthand observation-based statement about John Brennan, that he became Muslim while he served as, as for the CIA, but served for the CIA uh, as a station chief in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. This was confirmed by former CIA chief of that station, Brad Johnson. So this is a guy friendly to Islam, again, serving as head of the CIA under President Obama, uber friendly to Islam, uber friendly. So this was a, a, a just a great analysis of John Brennan. I'm going to get into Nellie Orr for just a few minutes uh, because I want, to, I, I want to stay on track here today, but Nellie Orr emerging as one of the key players in this whole massive anti-Trump conspiracy. She worked for the Fusion GPS. Her husband, Ali Bruce Orr, heavily involved in the government. But Nellie Orr was the Russian expert working for Fusion GPS. Her background, parents, radical leftists, radical, radical left-wing academics. She, Nellie Orr, actually wrote her thesis. Her, I think it was a master's thesis. She wrote her, no, her PhD, her 1990 Stanford PhD thesis on collective farms and Russian peasant society, 1933 to 1937, the stabilization of the cold cause order. So you know what she's talking about. This is Nellie Orr, the very friendly to Russia, very friendly to socialism person, right in the mix was setting up this entire conspiracy to take down Trump. She wrote in her thesis in a friendly way about Stalin's agricultural Bolshevism. The, the Kolkhoz order, by the way, Kolkhoz is a term means, uh, it means the, the collective farms um, under Bolshevism where Russians and Ukrainians were forcibly imposed, forcibly sent to these um, agricultural farms, forced to work, given impossible standards like you have, you know, you're forced to 
do this much, to produce this much in your work every day in the fields, setting impossible limits, the involvement of forcing uh, millions to be shipped away to Siberia, millions to be murdered. She wrote in praise of this policy, essentially saying, well, it's kind of bad they had to kill so many people. But her words, she used the expressions, I'm going to find her exact words, or she used the expressions essentially, um, the worldview kind of supportive socialism. And, and she just talked about Stalin as being kind of, well, you know, it wasn't a great thing. And, and she used the expression, I'm not going to find the right words exactly, but she used very friendly terms uh, in talking about uh, socialism in, in the, and Stalin, just saying, you know, it was using terms like unfortunate and yet an exciting time, even though a scary time, she's praising what Stalin did as sometimes the ends, the mean ends justify the means. You got to get to socialism. You got to get to communism. Sometimes bad things happen. She wrote favorably and in a friendly manner about Stalin. Again, read Diana West's book. These are creepy, scary people in the American left. And again, the book, you got to read this. Try to go which side you can see it better. Okay, the red thread. I can't decide if you can see it. But anyway, the red thread, a search for ideological drivers inside the anti-Trump conspiracy. This is another element of all of this. And my, my kind of takeaway at this point is, you know, you cannot have a person who's that friendly to socialism. And it's part of the conversation we have to have in America. A person that friendly as Brennan was and as Nellie Orr is, they both are, friendly to socialism, they shouldn't be in high positions in our government. We need to get back to the place in America where admitting you're a socialist, admitting you're kind of friendly to Stalin, kind of friendly to leftism, is viewed as, as your makes you untenable as a serious candidate for positions of authority. It has to be as ugly as uncovering that you have a history with the KKK. That is how we have to begin talking again about socialism in this country. Now, turning to my last topic for today. I want to talk a little bit about some of the ways that this entire anti-Trump conspiracy really hurt America. And these are ways, not just the kind of legal, not just kind of the headline things like President Trump has talked about, for example, $35 million spent by the FBI on lawyers who all hated him, 40 FBI agents working on this full time, uh, headlines day after day, leaks. I mean, the entire first two years of Trump's presidency has been pummeled, has been just a, a wasteland of, of headlines, of leaks from people within the government. So it's, it's taken a tremendous toll just on the Trump presidency. And it really has taken a toll on the American people. And that's what I want to hit in our last uh, time together today which is the way, all of the ways this has hurt America. But let me just remind you all the things the left has done. It isn't, because what happened was this. Once the Trump-Russia collusion hoax was introduced into the American political conversation, introduced in the news, introduced in this country, what happened was the ability to criticize President Trump to question his judgment, to question his motives, to attack him, to demean him, to undermine him. All of those things happened, were multiplied, but the genesis of it was that from the prior to the time he even took the oath of office, 
you had leftists in this country and their willing echo chamber in the mainstream media treating President Trump as though he's not legitimately president. Because after all, you know, the Trump-Russia collusion, he didn't really win. So this has been the, this has been the soil laid for, for which all of these other behaviors, all these other harms have come to America. The starting point being the left falsely accusing him of this Russia-Trump collusion. So I want to just point out ways that this has hurt America. Number one, when President Trump tried to carry through on his promise to try to fix our refugee system, to not have so many people coming to America from Islamic majority countries where terrorism is a problem and we had no way to vet them. We all saw what happened in San Bernardino in California where we, uh, we America accepted a woman who came to America to allegedly marry the guy or his, his fiance and they ended up killing a lot of people at Christmas time in December 2015 because we had no vetting in our system of refugees. So President Trump, the ways this Russia-Trump collusion has hurt America, so many, it, it so delegitimized him that so many federal court judges, the federal court district level, district court, the, the lowest level of federal courts, the appellate court levels, the circuit courts, judges and courts felt more willing, were more determined to strike down things President Trump did on the unspoken, and they don't say this, I'm saying this, on the unspoken agreement, well, everyone knows it's not legitimate. He's not really president. So even though he is president and 63 million Americans voted him to be, pre voted him to be president, they struck down his refugee orders. He's tried to put those various orders through executive orders, trying to say we got to vet people better. And it finally took whatever it was, three orders and going all the way to the Supreme Court before somebody in the federal court system was willing to follow the law. You have to understand the lower court judges who struck down his executive orders, struck them down, struck them down, not, not based on the constitution, not based on law. It was evident to lawyers around the country and to the Supreme Court that finally got to rule on it that federal law, the Constitution plus federal statutory law, gave President Trump the authority he needed, the only authority he needed to issue those orders. But those federal judges and courts felt perfectly legitimized, perfectly, that it was perfectly acceptable for them to fail to follow the law because Trump, because we all know he's not legitimate, so they didn't even follow the law. That's one way in which America was hurt, outside of just the enormous expense and waste of time. Another, just the whole cultural harm that came to America because of what happened under the, uh, under, as a result of this Russia-Trump collusion. You have school children in America who are learning that, just had a case like this last week. A girl came home from school, the teacher had said, you know, pick a hero, write a paper about your hero. She picked President Trump. Teacher said, can't do that. Can't write about President Trump. Any, can you imagine any other president in our history? A school child coming home and being told, telling their parents, well, the teacher said, I can't do Trump. The anti-Trump fervor, the, based from the lie of the Russia-Trump hoax, has legitimized teachers like that. It legitimizes people who think they can punch people who wear MAGA hats people who can mock people who are MAGA hats. And, and you know, the kind of the whole cultural undermining of our country, 
there are so many people who support President Trump, who did at the start, who still do today. People aren't even comfortable, let alone wearing a MAGA hat, saying out loud, yes, I support President Trump. I think he's doing a good job. I think he's a good president. The entire culture of the, the ability to have conversations in our country was undermined by this Russia Trump hoax. It kind of set the table for the whole presidency in terms of how we talk about him. Another huge consequence to America, huge harm to America, came from in the form of the GOP majority. We had the GOP majority, House and Senate. You could not get the GOP in the House or Senate to put through Trump's agenda. It was a battle to get them to do even those basic things, even things they ran on. We couldn't even repeal Obamacare. Republicans were so working so hard to distance themselves to not support President Trump. Frankly, maybe some of them thought he did commit what, they, what he was accused of. But once you started digging in and reading the facts, most Americans who support Trump figured out he didn't do any such thing. But somehow, the, his, his being labeled as illegitimate gave permission, gave credence to the people in, the, uh, in Congress, Democrats and Republicans, who are now, who basically said they thought they had the right, they just were going to ignore what President Trump did. Last harm to America from this, and there are many more, but I want to hit the highlights. Last harm to America is this idea of just astonishing disrespect of the media. The media in this country, we played a clip yesterday from the Oval Office, the media behaving like hyenas around the president. Just, it isn't as though they're all calling out, gee, I'm so excited, I hope I get to get my question. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. What happened in that Oval Office and what's happened for the whole two years of his presidency is the media also has has embraced this idea we don't have to treat him as president. We don't have to act like he's president. He didn't really win. There was collusion and therefore we can undermine him. And you know, I tell you that the, I will tell you one other quick thing and then I want to turn to why it matters to you. But one other quick thing. Ever since President Trump won legitimately the presidency with no collusion at all, no conspiracy with Russia, every bad thing, every bad label that's possible, every bad thing that can be said, people feel legitimate saying about Trump. A huge example is Bernie Sanders, who had his famous speech saying, you know, it, it really, it, it pains me to say this, which was not true, but he said that, it pains me to say this, we have a president who is racist, xenophobic, homophobic, you know, hate, whatever, his whole long litany of, of alleged accusations against Trump. He feels justified in saying that because from the start, from the start, the entire political culture of Washington, with a very few exceptions, treated President Trump as though he was illegitimate. You don't hear candidates. You did not hear Democrat candidates going at any other president the way they have gone after Trump. The idea that Trump's a racist, as though that's a fact, which it is not, but the left feels we can say Trump's a racist because he has no legitimacy, and then they march forward with whatever it is they want to say because they think they have the right to do that because, after all, he's not legitimate president. So in closing this section, there has been tremendous harm to America from this entire anti-Trump conspiracy concocted by radical leftists 
who could not stand to see a man coming to the office who loves America and Attorney General Barr is going to get to the bottom of it. And now I want to turn to why it matters to you and ask my friend Matt, who has got the slides, I hope, for why it matters to you, to I want to tell you why it matters so much. As I said yesterday, this is a time of tremendous political consequence in America. Barr's commitment to get to the bottom of this should be welcomed by everyone. This matters that you cannot find a Democrat in Washington who wants to know the truth who is saying we should actually know whether or not this grand conspiracy happened inside the FBI. You can't find a Democrat to agree to that. They are so far gone, so far committed to their, in, their you know, opposition to President Trump that they don't care what the truth is. And folks, it matters if we figure out if our law enforcement agencies are as corrupted as we think they are. Because if they are, we need a massive, massive cleanup Next, on why it matters to you. We need bold conversation in this country about whether we should denounce socialism as an evil equal to the KKK. We, and, and threads of this evil idea are just are woven into the highest levels of our country. When you have the head of the CIA, the head of the CIA, happily embracing socialism in his life, happily in, uh, embracing communism, voting communist, who is spurned to action, driven to action at the end of his career to concoct a, a just massive hoax, a, uh, you know, a, a hit job against the incoming, potential incoming president. You, we have legitimized his radical ideas in this country, and we need to get a renewed conversation about, should anyone who is socialist be morally acceptable to us as a position, person in a position of any authority in this country. Nellie Orr, John Brennan, the whole slew of them inside the FBI and Department of Justice. If you don't believe in freedom and free markets, you really should not have any place in the American government. These things I'm saying, these probably sound radical. People say, well, you, know, you really can't say that. I mean, we, are, we have freedom of thought here. Yes, we do. We have freedom of thought. Communism is allowed to exist in this country, but we need to remove its veneer of of civility, as the near of acceptability, not just Bernie Sanders, but people even before him have given the slow push of the radical left in this country has given legitimacy to socialism as though it's an, as an equally interesting and possibly productive idea that we all should be discussing. It needs to be denounced as the radical anti-American idea that it is. Last slide, please. If you could, my happy friend, Matt, and that is we need boldness in this country to call out all the ways the anti-Trump conspiracy has woven its way into our culture. We need to have exposure and expulsion of the deep state agenda and players. What we are looking at in this country, what President Trump has had to deal with in this country, is a large number of people placed in the positions of power in this country, in agencies all across Washington, people placed into power during the Obama years and even before, who simply do not have the Trump agenda. Uh, they're not willing to follow the Trump agenda. They're not willing to put into place. Not only not willing to help President Trump implement the policies that caused him to win the presidency, they're working very hard against those policies. We need a major cleaning out in Washington, D.C. Because if we don't, and this is why it matters to you, 
if we don't clean out socialism, if we don't clean out deep state actors, if we don't clean out people who are working against the interests of the duly elected president and working against the interests thereby of the American people who chose that president, we don't really have the Democrat Republic, which we thought we did. We don't have a Democratic Republic if we are going to let the deep state actors who are trying to block this investigation by bar, they're not going to cooperate, they're going, they didn't cooperate with Congress, they looked into it. The, the tremendous need in this country for a massive cleaning out of ideas in our country that don't belong in American government, of people not committed to following what the duly elected president is doing, if we don't get rid of them, we are surrendering our country. We're, we're agreeing that elections can happen, you elect a president, he's not going to be able to do anything he said because we don't have the will to drive the people out in Washington who will oppose his agenda. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. I do this show Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. I have to tell you a couple important things, though. Next week, you can see I'm not in the studio. I'm in California. Next week, I cannot do the show Monday. We'll be traveling. We'll be back Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But I want to urge you to go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. All of the, the book I mentioned today, all the articles I mentioned today are there for your reading because I do this show to inspire you and everyone to be engaged in this conversation, to recognize how precious our country is, how much every single patriot is needed to defend it, to preserve this precious country founded on liberty. So americacanwetalk.org homepage, under show, go down, list of links. You'll find everything we talked about today. And I'd love if you visit that site more often. If you're listening on YouTube, please subscribe to this channel. And if you're listening on Facebook, please share this post uh, and please comment. I love hearing from you. You can email me at America Can We, at, uh, excuse me, at America Can We Talk at gmail.com. And again, my whole reason for doing this show is to speak up for this precious, precious country. Talk to you next Tuesday. Can we talk truth about America?